we believe strongly and we always striving to bring it up on our own show that empathy is, is everything. It's the whole ball game. It's the way forward. It's the only true net positive emotional thing in the universe. You know, I, I, I really do believe that there's a price to be paid for it, but, but net positive, you, you can't go wrong doing it. And the more you do it naturally, I, it's my sincere belief that that is how we evolve as, as, you know, beings and souls on the planet. Have you ever noticed that there are two ways of thinking about and seeing the word extraordinary? Remarkable and so, so ordinary. I'm at the intersection of both and I'm betting that you are too. I hope you'll join me as I talk to all kinds of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We'll talk about the pursuit of passion, pivoting after failure to find happiness on the other side, and so much more. I'm Dana DelVal, and this is Extraordinary Extraordinary. I hope you'll come along for the ride. Okay. So in the spirit of the fact that I am a terrible, terrible technology person, uh, we started this conversation and then, of course, I wasn't recording. So now we're just going to go back and we're going to pretend like it's never happened. So uh, Joel Lisman, Ryan Harris, Ryan Newton Harris. Uh, hi. Hey. So hey, good girl. We just realized it's been um, almost, thir- well, like 25 years, Ryan, since I've seen you in person. Probably, yeah. That's mm-hmm. as hell. Yeah, slightly, slightly Joel, less. I've seen slightly, you a few yeah. times, um, mm-hmm. but not many. So uh, you were <laughs> saying, which is what prompted me to start my recording, that you remember coming back from winter break and running into me in Target. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been what? Um, that was my senior year. Yeah, my ninety-six. Ninety-six. Yeah. So January of our of, of our senior year, and you had graduated already, but you were. Uh, we ran it, you know, we left, when we left, you were but, but a expectant mother. And then we came back and, um, we ran into a very exhausted, uh, Dana in the, in the, uh, uh target going out. Oh, well, yeah, so I'd been a mother for two days at that point. Yeah. Um, and I was in target because he was four and a half weeks early. So I mm-hmm. didn't have anything. Yep. And not to um, go into way too much detail, but while we were standing there together, you, your now wife, Jen, and me, mm-hmm. I even know what I had on. My milk came in. <laughs> and I, I, I stood in Target as it just ran down my body into my jeans. And I thought, damn, this is a rough time. <laughs> like, there's a lot about this that's not really working for yep. me. Yeah, it was crazy. Just crazy. But, you know, whatever. Now he's 24, and I guess I survived mm-hmm. that, and you did too, and life has gone on. Um, so welcome to my funny little podcast, not nearly as put together or um, strategic as your podcast, the movie show with Joel and Ryan seems to be. But I felt like if I brought you on, I might get some of your um, good vibes and your apparently infinite font of knowledge about pretty obscure stuff sometimes yeah I, yeah, that I, I is our slant yeah. about the two of you actually until I started listening to your podcast and then all of a sudden all the years melted away and I thought wow we could be in Ryan's dorm I don't feel like I was ever in your dorm room Joel but I was in Ryan's 
And I, I was never in my dorm room. I was never in my dorm okay, room most of the time. We, I was in Ryan's too. Well, because it was a cool dorm room. First of all, didn't you have your own computer, Ryan? Yeah. I had my own computer with an internet connection in 1992. I was a trendsetter. I remember the first time I saw email. Uh, mm -hmm. Casey Murphy. I was with Casey Murphy in the computer lab at the library. So it would have been our junior year, his freshman year. Yeah. My, yours and my junior year, Ryan. And yeah. he was typing kind of back and forth with somebody. And I said, and what are you doing? And he said, I'm sending an email. And I said, what is that? And he kind of explained it to me. And I said to him, why would anybody want to do that? Just wait until <laughs> 11 p.m. when calls are 10 cents a minute and then just get on the phone. I mean, I just I remember thinking, well, you're so stupid, Casey. Like, nobody's going to do this. Yeah. There it oh, is. oh, with all due respect, we said that a lot to him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> out of love. <laughs> out of love. But we said that a lot. <laughs> it came up I'm from time to time. Sure oh, Casey. <laughs> oh, Casey. Uh, yeah. Um, he goes by um, Case now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness for the internet. Yeah. How would we he'll, know? He'll always be Casey to us. I call him Gerald. You know his really? name is Gerald Casey yeah. Murphy. You yep. didn't know that. Yeah, which horrifies. But I didn't call him Gerald ever. I don't think. I don't think I ever called him Gerald either, but it, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that you did. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I earned that somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how are you two? Good, good, you know, hanging in there. Yeah. The, you know, one that one day at a time crap, you know, just taking it each day as it comes and trying not to get too overwhelmed, um, sometimes unsuccessfully, but uh, other days are better than others. Yeah, I would echo that, except it, instead of overwhelmed, I would say underwhelmed. Underwhelmed. Mm. It's not trying, trying not to get too underwhelmed by the solitary, sad existence <laughs> that I have here without my show and without my friends. and. It's, Are you guys not doing your show now? We haven't uh, for a while. We're getting back to it here. We yeah. do it like this. You know, part of it is we're on the couch together looking at each other. You you mentioned the uh, how put together it is. You know, it can't be that when he's across town. It's going to be mm -hmm. a little sloppier and not, it's not going to sound as good. And well, all and, of that has been a trick for me to cope with. Yeah, and frankly, right. our numbers haven't been very good since the COVID thing. We thought maybe everyone would listen to us because they'd be dying for stuff to do. But I think you, your mind, our show is, like you say, a little targeted. I mean, it's really about entertainment. It's about the story behind the stories we tell is what we like mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. So we, it, it's, it's, it's supposed to be anecdotal and fun and sharing, but it is sort of focused on entertainment. It goes this way, not this way. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, you're not skirting around some topic. You pick some obscure actor, and then you just go on and on. It's kind of, it's really incredible. Yeah, but I mean, part of the whole design of the show was, like you said, is the idea. Uh, I mean, it came out of all of the times that we would sit in Ryan's dorm, and Ryan would go, "You got to hear this piece of music, or you got to let's." I'm, you have we're sitting down and watching this movie. Um, or, you know, we just start talking about movies or plays or, or uh, you know, bands and whatever. And, it, you know, next thing you know, four and a half hours has gone by. Um, and so, you know, that was what we kind of set out to do 
with uh with with the podcast was like well let's what if we just hit record on one of these conversations because ryan and i especially ryan and i and jennifer get would get together every sunday uh pretty much every sunday to watch the vikings play and uh and then for years and years and years yeah and then yeah and then uh we you know whether it be over you know over messenger or uh or in person, then yeah, these conversations, these like, oh hey, you got to check out this show, or here's you know here's my song of the day, you got to listen to this, and and so, um, yeah, so it kind of when when we first kind of like maybe we should do a podcast, and Ryan's like, well, we're not gonna, I don't want to do a podcast if it's not gonna be, you know, high basic, well, high quality, and if it's not going to, I mean. I, I can't remember your exact wording. I don't know if you remember your exact wording, but it was, it's, it was like, I'm not, I don't want to do this if it's, if we're just going to, uh, you know, we, we needed to sort of, the whole idea was is to sort of cater to the uniqueness. And I, I've said this to you to your face. So uh, the uniqueness of Ryan's brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, cause that, that's what all of this is, is, uh, and I think that's, to me, that's, why we you know there's no shortage of middle-aged white guys talking about movies that's um, great yeah. now we do it on a couch totally so, changes the entire mm-hmm. spectrum it's a genre in and of all into itself correct yeah. uh but uh, no the the idea i mean what we you know what we try to do and what i try to do as as the you know the one half of of this show is um you know he's our one of the reasons why ryan is our friend is because of he sees the world in a very unique ryan sort of way uh and and as i've said to you ryan uh your ability to uh a to know the behind the scenes stories but also to tie to, to to know all the different threads and where different threads overlap between uh between movies between studios between producers actors uh you know and and those types of connections um you know it's like a it's like a six degrees of kevin bacon sometimes but with you know we're talking about well the sound guy for this movie did also did this movie so that's why you're seeing you know or like this the director saw this movie and said that's the sound guy i need and that's what helped give this particular movie that particular you know sound and you could sort of hear the two and i'm sitting there going yeah that, yeah, I, that, yeah, yeah, or or just going, yeah. I never, I never would have put that thread together. Um, I I was thinking about it before we hit record. It's like, and and I would have to, Ryan. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I, I sort of feel like there's a story at some point of you organizing your CDs by uh, by producer. Am I making that up, or did you do that <laughs> some point, at some point? No. I never did that, but okay. that's, it, it sounds like something I would do. It does sound okay. like something you would do. So yeah. I, I couldn't remember if you actually did it or if I made a reference like that is something Ryan would do is go, oh, I'm going to organize all of these by, by, you know, the studio drummer. Um, <laughs> I very, because you could, that's yeah. what I mean. It's because you could, not that you would, but because you could, because that's the, that's the level of detail you go into. Um, on the I very famously organized my movies by, uh, chronologically by studio. Okay, maybe that's where I'm. Maybe that's, that's where I was getting. 
that's unusual for somebody with a big movie library to not do it alphabetically or to not break it up with by genre. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two reasons for that. You can't do it alphabetically or when you buy the next Avatar sequel, you have to move all 3,000 <laughs> of them down one. And that's not a task that, that takes the fun out of it, basically. Um, and music's the same way. Uh, should ABBA ever get back together or somebody else put some reissue out? Aha, uh-huh. a new uh-huh. Right, you don't want to be yeah. at the top of the alphabet sliding everything one way. I don't have an army of librarians to do that for me. And uh, so yet chronologically <laughs> chronologically because it slides in easier you just it's everything goes in front everything moves down one but each, only one row at a time and you're all kind of set and uh, by studio because it looks better that way if you've ever noticed if you put all your columbia record cds next to each other you know all your springsteen and all your billy joel if they're old enough they're they're those white plates on the spine with the big thick red letters and if you put them all together, they all they look uniform and pretty and they look like they belong together like a family. And it's the same with movie studios. They all have the same little logos in the same place, you know, mm-hmm. it, and it, it looks cool from a distance and up close. And for a lot of folks, like not knowing where to because it's layers and layers, you've seen it over there. It, it, if you don't know who the studio was, I mean, if you don't know that you know, Paramount released King David and it's way in the back of your collection. You're not going to find it. But I, I, I know I can tell you, and I'm, that's not to brag. I don't know that it's a talent, but I can tell you every, just you can name the movie and I can tell you the studio and probably the sub studios and production companies as well. Right. How big is your um, movie collection these days? Uh, so Joel asked me on the show. I can, I can guess or I can tell you exactly if you give me a minute. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. Right, exactly. Because Not of course, exactly. it is. It is also, uh, you know, he does have it properly uh, uh, cataloged in on his computer and in, in, in a file on his. I computer. think I own about yeah. twenty films. This is uh, this is this, this makes me sound kind of pathetic every time I read this number. So sorry about that. <laughs> but um, this is individual titles, so it's you know I own them one way or another in a box set or something, but. It's uh, 3,493 as of today. Oh, we're coming up on the 3,500 mark. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Not anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Mo- movie buying has slowed to a crawl. <laughs> so I'm glad I have a lot of old favorites I could spend time with because there's not a lot of new ones coming in. But, you know, mm. we all there's streaming services and we all do the same thing. Joel and I's next, our first show back from our hiatus is going to be talking about, uh, they're not obscure. I don't want to use that word, but some, a little, maybe off the beaten track, uh, streaming ideas from us. Yeah. We came, shows that, we came up with 10 or 12 of them. Yeah. Shows that maybe have slipped through the cracks or you haven't gotten to them yet or, you know, so that's, and but, we figured that it's about to, I, you know, I, I it, the, this whole being home, I mean, uh, yeah, it has been a little overwhelming, just the, the schooling from home, having to um, homeschool now. So we're finally at a point where, or I'm finally at a point where Ryan and I were finally like, I, I, I can do this now. I can, I can give you some gray matter to, uh, to dedicate to, to our show now. Um, so we're going to, yeah, we're going to get that recorded and start putting out some content again. 
Well, that's uh, very good. Um, your background reminds me of Lame, of um, Moulin Rouge. There's something about the beginning, you know, when the thing scrolls up. I think maybe it's the color. I like it. It's good. Oh, our, uh, your Carrie, Ad- logo? Carrie Anderson, an MSUM graduate, designed that for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's nice. I said I wanted it to look like uh, like a logo that would be on like the side of a wagon for a yeah, medicine like a show. Wagon, yeah. And that's what she came up with. Joel, if you move out of the way, my favorite part is the ampersand mm-hmm. with the little oh, film reel in it. Film reel. It's a pretty nice touch. I have not yeah. noticed that. That's very cool. Yeah, it's good. We and you know we like to think of ourselves as snake oil salesmen. So as you um, we all have theater. We don't go town to town, but we get into your ears, and we'll sell you the crap that we're peddling. We definitely try and convince you of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, real quick, though, going back to the number of movies Ryan's own, Ryan owns, um, and you were saying, I, Dana, that you don't own a lot of movies. I don't own, I mean, I I own, still own some, but I purged a lot of films, too, especially going from um, uh, once we went to, from DVD to Blu-ray, uh-huh. uh, purged a lot of movies, um, and so I don't have, and with because there's, streaming things uh more, more streaming abilities uh i don't have the physical and we've talked about this on the show that i you know i don't have the physical uh movies and, and we talk about why ryan does uh but i remember uh you know right out of college um you know obviously ryan had these this was in the age of vhs, VHS. so ryan you know ryan had you know thousands of a thousand vhs tapes in his dorm well a couple hundred it seemed like a lot it felt like a thousand a few hundred a few hundred a few hundred vhs tapes in his dorm room and and you know and i also uh you know because again you know college you're like oh and then ryan would show you his movie and i'm like oh my god i have to have that movie so then i would go out and buy it so i'd have it on my own but i remember um just out of college when i would start doing regional theater and and going from you know just essentially living out of my car because it's just driving to one theater and living in actor housing and then driving to another theater and then live in actor housing but i had crates and crates of my vhs tapes and people would you know whoever my housemates were or if i was sharing a a room with somebody that i'd come walking in with these crates of movies and they'd just be like you know, they'd be like, oh my god this is the cool yeah oh my god everybody jill knows everything about movies everybody and i'm like Oh, you have no idea. Oh, you have no idea. But then I got to be, so I got to be like Ryan Light. I got to be like the JV, yeah. the JV team, Ryan Harris. For, uh, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Or Sats Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for a little bit there with, uh, with some of the uh, early acting gigs that I would do because I'd come strolling in with all these, all these VHS tapes. And then I'm like, yeah, this is lugging these things around. Um, Ugh. Yeah. That's not fun. But. That's for the birds. I felt like it, for some reason, I felt like it made me look cool. Well, clearly it didn't hurt. Who knows? And I don't think it helped, but. <laughs> it, it, yeah, but it didn't hurt. No, I, at least I had, you know, at 2 a.m. on a Thursday night, I had something to watch if I wanted to. Well, and think of the calories you burned hauling them back and forth. There you go. Never you go. a lost caloric opportunity. That's my thought. Yeah, Boom. I, work, I, I worked in video stores and and record stores and stuff all throughout the 80s and 90s and that's how i collected those on the cheap do you still have your vhs collection right what did you do with it 
uh, just slowly weaned myself off of it. I mean, it's been, and I don't know when did, when did DVDs start coming out the mid nineties, late nineties. So you just start replacing them and get rid of them. Yeah. I brought a, I brought a bunch to a a pawn shop and stuff. I told Joel, it was just, uh, I guess almost a year ago now, but I just replaced the last two. Wow. And what were they? Uh, it was uh, HBO's and the band played on and um, Closetland from 1992, I want to say. Oh, do you remember Closetland? Okay. Closetland yeah, with, with, with Alan, Alan Rickman and Madeline Stowitz. Oh, actually, it's, yeah, I do remember that film. Well, I don't remember it, but I'm oh, yeah. fascinated by the cast. It's like a, it's like a play, really. It's yeah. like a two-person play with uh-huh. Alan Rickman and Madeline Stowe. If you could have bought a ticket to that back then, you'd have done it. Yeah. That's what that's what drew me to it. It's a terrible DVD. It's I've got it's a Mexican import and it's literally just some guy just, you know, like you do with your home videos. You just transferred the VHS yeah. tape over to DVD. But I, it's for that movie, it's the best version there is out there and it preserves it and now I have it and I can easily watch it where I couldn't easily watch the VHS. Sure. Um Closetland's a harsh movie. It's interrogation, it's a torture movie, frankly. Um, it, that's what it's about. It's about the things that people go through, uh, in a totalitarian state. And it's really good. The two of them are dynamite together. So I, I, you know, I don't know. It's not a perfect movie because it's just one set, you know, two people, but, mm-hmm. but I don't mind theatricality uh, for, for mine. They could, one of them could have started singing and I would have been, okay. It's just, it's one of those. Well, you know, if you do enough theater, Mm-hmm. Joel and I always say we don't mind. We don't have a hard problem with. We don't have a problem with like people dressed as cats singing. No. People, um, you know, overscanned digitally oh. as so, cats singing. Apparently, is the line we w- weren't willing to. Cross. That's, that's <laughs> the line you won't cross. So, did you two see that film? Yeah, I saw it eventually. Yeah. And I have not. I have I not have seen not it either. Because a, uh, I don't give two figs about cats. Well, yeah, those images are creepy as hell. We talked about it on the show. Cats is inherently uncinematic. The whole point of Cats is the dancing and the songs and and the mix of the two, you know, the the vocal dexterity and physical dexterity it takes to do that show. But it's just a bunch of weird poems. There's no plot. There's no villain. There's no I mean, there's nothing conventional about it in terms of storytelling that's its charm when you see it on stage mm-hmm. and the the people dressed up and acting like cats that's that's fun but it's not deep or anything and to make a musical of that and thinking that wouldn't get you wouldn't get sick of it even under the best of circumstances after a few songs seemed wrong-headed to me the time to do that was back you know on a weird set in the eighties with like music video editing and stuff like there was a time where that would have been neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, now is not the time. And the idea to make them, to disguise them digitally instead of with makeup and stuff, is just it's an asinine decision. It made the whole thing three times as complicated and twice as ugly. And I mean, that's the lesson there. It's they complain about how bad the effects were, but that was a, to me, anyway, maybe somebody can differ, but to me, that was an ill-conceived idea. Like, that wasn't going to work. No matter how good they did it, that that take ungrounding it and making it this digital animated disguise is just 
I mean, how many more steps can you take back from something before it's not what it is anymore? And that's where they kind of failed. I like the songs. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't love Cats, but I don't mind right. it. It's got how some fun stuff in it. pulled that incredible cast together? I mean, yeah. what yeah. conversations like? Because mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable cast. Yeah. It's disappointing. And yeah, so well. Maybe they yeah. thought it was going to like be one of those kind of films were going down this great path and then we turned a corner at cats and we went down a way better path. I wasn't hopeful for it because I didn't like that director's Les Mis and Les Mis is. Is that the huge Jackman Les Mis? Right. Les Mis is is completely 100% cinematic. There's nothing that's not cinematic about it. He still couldn't quite pull that off. I I don't like Les Mis full stop, but that production was boring. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to watch Les Mis again until somebody says we're going to kill Cosette early on. <laughs> Before Heartful of Love, she's out. Then I might be interested. <laughs> God, I hate that character. <laughs> what a shame. She's <laughs> only one interesting woman in that show and she survives. Yeah, well, that's part of why, huh? I guess. Everybody else is off doing interesting things and she's sheltered and kept safe at home. Yeah, all right, fine. I like the music. I just don't like the musical. I don't like it live. I don't like any of the film versions. The well, one maybe, song. maybe, okay, you don't like, you don't like Cats, you don't like Les Miserables, which, what, is there an uh, 80s-ish musical that you do enjoy? You know, it's funny, because I also am not a fan of Phantom of the Opera. I feel, I, I have no issue with overwrought musicals. Like, I love Evita. Evita's as overwrought mm-hmm. as you're going to find. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. No, maybe that's a, maybe it's a time period thing. I'm not sure. I haven't thought of it that way. I don't know. Well, Evita though, that's good. That's on the plus list. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I like Evita. I think it's really well done. I even liked the Madonna version of Evita. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, A little, a little corny, but musicals are a little corny. You kind of just have to get over it and hopefully, mm -hmm. and hopefully you know, a little time in, you adjust yourself and then you're right. you just, you're used to it. The same way you don't spend all of Harry Potter going, well, that's not possible. You just, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I want to know, uh, I want to know what you've been doing in your lives since you got these um, theater degrees, because you know, our alma mater, and we don't need to go on and on about this because I quite frankly feel like I've discussed it till I want to go get a whole new line of employment. But um, our alma mater is really, really close to cutting this program. Uh, has has suggested they've made, they've made the decision to cut it, right? They haven't actually cut it because the the final decision has not been made. The recommendation was made. I was just on a call. I mean, I was watching a call with faculty the other day and she's still in consideration phase. So the three of us have this degree, which by most standards is a fairly trivial degree. You know, there, you don't graduate yeah. and go work at the theater like you go work at an engineering firm or a dental office or the kinds of places where your job title actually has a place. Um, And you don't need our education to do what we've done. And uh, so so talk about what you've done with your 
theatrical lives in these years? Because I'll let you I'll let you go first. You mean, well, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I I took the uh, kind of the traditional route. I I didn't get into theater until until quite late. So college was really the place where I learned whether I, I liked theater or not, or I loved it. I mean, I, my personality, I tend to, when I, when I get a bug for something, I tend to go all in on it and go whole hog and say, I got to learn, you know, I got to do every, I need to know everything about this. And I jump in with both feet. Um, uh, sometimes for good, sometimes not so much, but uh, so I, I going into just deciding that, you know what, going into theater, I'm doing this. Uh, and then spending four years kind of learning about uh, getting, you know, a B, you know, having a BA, this not, ha not having a BFA, uh, but having a BA, which was, you know, so we had a lot more overview, a lot more history, uh, you know, a, a wide variety of things and a lot more required of us uh, from a, a general education standpoint. Um, I, it was a perfect, it was the good, see, I bored Ryan. I bored him. He's done Ryan's with me. look at his catalog. <laughs> no, uh, but, uh, uh, so the, uh, I can't hear I, that, but I assume I know, because I it said, was loud enough to, uh, make my little zoom box go yellow that it was annoying to everyone. So I, no, no, no. I just thought I was boring you. I was boring you. So Ryan's like, I'm out of here. Uh, no, so, no. you know, so I, I, I just, you know, I, I was all in on it and I loved, uh, you know, I was still the, you know, the applause, uh, the, the, you know, diving into a character, the rehearsals, the performances, I was still all in on that. So after college, I was still like, you know, I, I didn't know enough to know that I only had a BA in theater. So I didn't know that, 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 that really wasn't, uh, you know, uh, I, I, so I just, I started working. I started going to auditions and, um, you know, first started going to, uh, some of the regional big giant cattle call auditions, as well as auditioning in the, um, in the twin cities. And then for a while I was on this dinner theater circuit and then eventually I moved to New York and we were in New York for several years and then moved back here when, um, uh, my wife, Jennifer, uh, who we all know as well, uh, Jennifer got a job, uh, she, she had gotten out of acting and was, like the company manager of, of the off-Broadway theater company. And then she got a job offer to come to the Guthrie. So we moved back to the Twin Cities. And then it was kind of, I didn't know if I was going to, you know, I, I having been away from the Twin Cities for a long time and never really fully being in the theater scene in the Twin Cities, I didn't know much about it uh, outside of, well, there's the Guthrie and there's the Chanhassen Dinner Theater. Uh, and there's, you know, a couple other theaters, but I don't know if I can make a living here. I guess, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try. And then, uh, um, yeah, I just sort of have been able to carve out a career still as an actor. Um, and then being able to work for long stretches of time where my per my income as a performer, whether it be on stage or doing commercials, there's still some commercial work uh, and some industrial on-camera work uh, in the Twin Cities, but the doing enough of that has allowed me then to be able to utilize my education and, and the, the comfortability I have being in front of people. I'm able to do uh, 
I'm on the board of directors with uh, um, an organization called Partnership Resources, which, Partnership Resources, which is a day program for adults with disabilities, uh, helps them find jobs and maintain jobs as well as build life skills. I do a lot of work with the Williams Syndrome Association, which is, uh, uh, that's a condition that my son has. Um, and so, uh, it, but the, having a, a arts degree, my being in the theater, um, you know, there are people that don't know how to they might have great ideas, but they have no idea how to communicate those ideas. Um, like, and that's one of the, everybody in the STEM world. Right. Quite frankly. Right. And, and that was one of the big take. And you and I have talked about this offline when, you know, when you and I were talking about uh, our, the news of our, our department, um, Dana, um, you know, that one of the big takeaways I have from my education was from Jim Bartriff. Um, and it was, and it was that idea of you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't know how to properly communicate it, it doesn't matter. If you don't know how to get people to see what you're seeing and you don't know how to get people to understand what it is that you are trying to do, then any, then no idea, it, the ideas don't matter. Right. If you can't communicate them. And that's what we, uh, and, you know, and that's what I, where I think I have an advantage and people who come from an arts background have that advantage. Um, we understand the importance of language and, uh, and communication and words and, and inflection and how are and being understood and, and, and the idea that, you know, a story, a, a story is, you know, can, can live or die and how it's told. And, you know, you know, I maintain that, you know, if, if we had to, uh, if you put me up in front of a group of people and needed me to explain the, how, how the inner workings of, um, how a forklift arm works, uh, you know, g give me a couple hours and I bet I can make that, I can make that a, a, at least a little bit more exciting than just reading a pamphlet on it. So, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, that's, and that's, so I've been able to carve out a career, you know, 25 years or so of being a performer and being able to be up in front of people and um, and uh, hopefully tell good stories. Well, and and I I'm saved to this because I knew you would. You know, Joel is sort of skirting over the fact that he has been a working actor this whole time. Absolutely. And still is. So it's not always a question of, well, what are you going to do for money? I mean, I think anybody who works in the arts has done hodgepodge of this and that and anything you can imagine uh, to get by, Joel. I know you're no exception, but you, you, your, your wife who went to school with us in that same program, you know, is the uh, casting director at the premier arts organization in the upper Midwest. And that's a huge accomplishment. And that started at, at Moorhead State. You, you're, you're not, uh, uh, we, there, we can't tune in and see you on TV every week, but you, you've been a working actor and artist the whole time since you've been out of school. Um, you know, my story's not, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, quite, didn't quite achieve that because I'm not drawn to that interaction with other people isn't really what drew me to it, you know, which is what I know it's what Joel's passion. I mean, that's where his, his excitement comes from and stuff. Um, I, I like figuring it all out and the engineering, the emotional engineering of it all. 
I, uh, I know it's a family podcast, but as an actor, I had my head completely up my own ass all the time. And I did the same show, whether there was 30 people in the audience or 300 or four. And we put that four people in the audience uh, thing to the test. Jim Bartroff <laughs> will remember that. Uh, that be Galileo? No, no. Oh. Galileo was fairly well attended. Not a huge yeah. hit, but but decently. Eighty or so folks red, tonight. Your red thing. Hey, you know Galileo. I don't know which of our people are gonna uh, see this, but um, uh, Galileo went when the recant notice came in for Galileo. I used to stand in the vom every night and watch. It was Rob Rossi and Jeff Vitek. And who else? One other person. His Galileo's little gang of of hangers on and, and believers when they they're the ones on stage very cleverly in the script that get that we get to experience that news of him going back on on his teachings. And it was it was heartbreaking. Uh, Rob Tito Rossi in particular broke my heart every night and I was the villain of the thing. And, I, you know. So I normally I just kind of stuck to myself and tried to live in my own little space until the show was over. But I couldn't. I saw it once in rehearsal and I, I watched it every single night. That's as a magical theater memory. Yeah. Galileo is a good one. That's that's a good one. But I, I didn't stick to it because I didn't get much from the audience. And so I don't get a lot of gratification from applause and I don't take a compliment well. And I just, you know, I. I have that I have a different sort of personality. I do really love theater. Um and I, I love doing it, but eventually eventually if you find yourself, because I was out on the road too touring for years and years, do working at different festival theaters and different cities all over the place, doing different teaching jobs and arts, stuff like that. But the the hitting the stage and putting the costume on and like the performing part of it didn't excite me much so I gravitated away from it I've been a sound designer and a production stage manager and a director and a writer and it's trying to it's harder to think of jobs that I didn't do in the theater I don't do a lot with lighting but I've run lights for hundreds of shows so that so that that well-rounded theater education that we got at Moorhead State was really useful to me because none of the idea of doing any of that other work or pounding a nail into something or fixing something or wiring something or whatever, none of that was a foreign idea to me the way I'm sure it would have been were, were had, it not for that place. I had um, Tom Schwanz on, I don't know, a while ago, and um, he said the exact same thing. So he went to this theater in Iowa and they were like, oh, dang, we need a lighting guy. And he's like, well, I'll just do it. And, you know, we need this. And yeah, I'll just do it. And they they ended up getting another building and gutting it. And he said, you know, where would I have learned all that had I not had to do it? And, you know, there's, uh, Joel, you and I in particular have had some offline conversations about uh, the value of whether or not basically being technicians who got to act once in a while through our theater degree was good, appropriate, fun mentally healthy, all those things. But, um, you know, just, just today, uh, my husband and I were going to put together a new planter box that we bought and it didn't come with directions. And, you know, 
he has a PhD. I'm not a genius, but I'm not a moron. You wouldn't (laughs) think we'd need to look up the directions for a planter box, (laughs) but we did. And so we're looking them up online and, and some part of it's very unclear because the only directions we can find are in some Asian language. And so Maz says, well, we got to stop and think about this. And I said, the hell we have to stop and think about this. What do you think I have a theater degree for? There is application to the frustration of having been forced to basically become the Bob Vila of MSUM while also occasionally getting to be in pretty remarkable theater. And I'll say, although I really do appreciate that and, and I'm grateful for it now after the fact, it, Part, part of the resentment and frustration that we went through there was that really was never fully communicated to me mm-hmm. why it was like that. Right. That, that, that that theater program was a, as close to a, a theater programs you're going to find of that size to a functioning theater with its own development department. You know, th- everything was internally, everything that needed to be done had to be done within. right. And right. nobody, I, I don't remember anyone explaining that to me properly. What You had to f- almost figure it out for yourself. Well, and you maybe, your first work weekend shift and it became abundantly clear. But I, but I missed the first strike and I missed, the, I didn't know I had to go to these things. Oh. Like nobody just pulled me aside and told me, I, you really had to mm-hmm. figure it out. And I, 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 too. Ryan, you I, and I, I figured it out pretty, pretty slow. I have to I, say, I, well, you know, I but I did figure it out and, and I'm great. It is a, it's a valid approach. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for the, I'm grateful for the knowledge that I gained for it. I'm not entirely, uh, uh, I I still am not okay with how I attained that knowledge. A lot of of labor involved. Definitely. A lot of labor, uh, and a lot of mental abuse. Yeah. A lot of abuse. Um, disguised as this is just the way it's done or, disguised as you know theater you gotta want it you gotta want it theaters in and 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 uh, and um you know as i started working professionally uh after graduation um i realized it it, it i would do the same you know i i had it off of what tom's situation was you know yeah they're like oh we gotta have somebody oh i'll just do it i had situations where um it was the same sort of thing. I was in there and a, and a person would go, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, we, we got to get, we got to get this thing built. This thing is, you know, and I would say, Oh, well I can do it. And they would go, no, you need to go rehearse the show. <laughs> there was actually value. In yeah. You need to go and work on your character. And also I don't want you around all that sawdust because you have to sing 12 numbers and that coming from the tech director. Yeah. And like, Oh well, I mean, you said you needed to build, it and uh, and he's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. But you know, you have and and so it, it years of of sort of um, balancing that uh, of what of what uh, happened at Morehead State um, versus how the real world actually works. Um, that was uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was something that. Uh, well, you know, maybe maybe the takeaway from it is that um, I bet that nobody in, and I'll loosely say our careers, because Ryan, like you, I did, I mean, you pursued it much more prolifically than I did. Um, but I bet people don't say we're divas. 
You know what I mean? When we show up, we show up when we're ready to work. Sure. In college, I was told I was a diva several times because I had the audacity to go. I just, I don't, I mean, I have to be able to do my, I need to be able to sing. I, I, you know, I was told I was a diva many times. Um, Once I got out of college. Yeah, no, not, not so much. Not so much. Um, Now they call me a diva pretty regularly uh, (laughs) because I'm, because you walk in and demand things yeah yeah i'm like hello where's my 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 favorite diva moment that i ever witnessed so the summer after i graduated because i graduated first of the three of us i went to utah to do Mm -hmm. Mormon propaganda theater and the the leads were all people brought in and I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't know any of them. They weren't famous, but they, they'd they had good careers and they were all age appropriate, which, you know, coming out of college, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a 50 year old character played by a 50 year old person. That was just amazing. So the female lead um, played this beautiful subservient Mormon wife. And <laughs> we're all on stage one night and this is a massive, massive theater seats like 2,500 people. And uh, it's this huge, huge production, just like Medora times a thousand. And she's looking around. So we're all on stage. I don't know. It's probably a cast of 80 or 90 people. She's, we're all on stage. And she looks over at this girl who's only one step lower in the chorus of nothings than I am. And this girl's got a white scarf on her head, you know, wrapped around her head. And this woman who's the lead is in kind of a blue ensemble and she turns out to the dark stage. It's about three days before we open and she goes, why is she wearing white? I'm the fucking star of this musical, <laughs> not her. And everyone was like, because Mormon land. I mean, nobody swore. She was just, I remember I was with Nicole, another classmate of ours, and we were both like, oh, this is not. <laughs> so next thing you know, chorus girls in dour brown and leads in beautiful white. And yeah, yeah. it was one of those moments where I thought, yeah, I, I don't see myself ever going that route. She got her way though. She did. She did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe it was a, maybe it was the smart move. I don't know. And we're talking about it 25 years later. Yeah. The, the worst thing in the theater, I'll just say is not necessarily a diva. No, you're right. I mean, well, D, I mean, Diva's an easy label to throw at for people who um, who have a very particular notion of what they need to do their job. Um, well, I, you know what, that's, that's an interesting point, because I do think, um, we were talking about this yesterday at my day job, um, I do think that people forget that art making of every and any kind is work. So it might be mm-hmm. joyful, it might be um, frivolous, it might even be silly, but it's a lot of work to be joyful, delightful, frivolous, silly. It, it, you don't just show up and be that. There's this incredible internal mining that if you're worth anything, you have to do. And I think it's just an interesting thing people don't see that side of it because they only see finished products. Right. 
Um, yeah. And, and the simple fact that, you know, part of the job is that if you're a performer, part of the job is that you have to have that joy um, and all of those, you know, whether it's joy or sadness or anger or, or whatever, it has, it has to be accessible yeah. to you as a performer. So you have, you know, our job is uh, incredibly empathetic where we have to be able to tap into the emotions of others. And so having that right there, um, if, if, you know, Part of what being a professional in this business, I, I tell this to uh, my acting students, um, is is look, you know, with the with enough coaching and guidance, um, anybody can create a role. Anybody can come up with a character um, and and recite lines and stuff. What makes a professional is being able to do that night after night and day after day after day after day in rehearsals and not lose your own mind and not piss everybody off around you um because you have to have all of that stuff accessible to you it also means that if you're not on top of it someone can say the wrong thing and yeah you can snap at them and go why is she wearing white the stupid i mean yeah and 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 to and to be ultra serious about it and say because the the point is is look what she was you know what she was saying is I, you know, the focus needs to be on my character right now. And my character is the one going through this journey and the entire audience's eyes are going to be going at that person wearing the beautiful bright white shawl. Right now, had this person been, you know, in, in another business or had been, you know, maybe gotten a better night's sleep the night before, or, you know, wasn't tired from an entire day of rehearsal maybe they would have been able to go, okay, oh God, I, I just, my eye keeps going to that, the white there is, is there anything we could do about that? Yeah. Maybe handle it better. But because you're, you're, ha you're, all of these emotions are right there that you have to be able to be comfortable and be, you know, willing enough to, to access. Sometimes, yeah, you just go, you just go, the F, what is up with that? Get it out of my face yeah. because I'm trying to do something here. That's not easy. So that is much more much more tolerated in our industry than other places. A lot of outside folks don't understand that. Remember when Christian Bale blew up in oh, Terminator Salvation? Or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Terminator. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just the DP was just moving something around while he was doing his doing his work, and he just completely flipped out. And people were like, if I did that at my job, you know, I get yeah. it. I, I've had plenty of jobs where I could not do that, but I've had a few where you can. And if, I don't know, it's not good behavior, just like, you know, why is she wearing white? That's not good behavior either. But it's, it's, it, it's, I don't want to say it's accepted. It all depends, but it's just, it's, you, people are able, people in that, that setting are able to sympathize with your freak out in a way that in other settings, uh, it just would be completely inappropriate. Yeah. It's a, it's a context thing. I got, it's I got part of the fun of it. Volunteer community theater once. So I guess I am a diva. I mean, I just, I, it was this super serious play and he and I had the leads and he was way, way, way out of his element and he knew it. And so the way he dealt with it is he would crack jokes. So I would finish these huge monologues and then he'd be like, that's a good actor. And I was like, yeah. you or me. And I turned to the director and I said, make your decision. I don't care who it is, but I'm not doing it with him. 
and I walked off stage. <laughs> and guess what? I got to do the play. So yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. I, I had, I, I will say, I, I had one of the most, uh, I feel like it's one of the most Minnesotan uh, diva moments uh, ever because I was doing this show and it was a new musical. And, and so the music was being, you know, it's all, it's, it's, uh, and the composer, brilliant composer, uh, and, but he writes really complex musical theater. Uh, and I'd sung his stuff before and I knew, you know, so I, I knew what I was getting into and it wasn't that, but we were doing this new musical and I'm going over this part and I'm like, I j it just, I can't get, oh, actually at that time it was, I was just starting to get it. I was starting to get it and feel it. And then we were doing a run through and as I'm doing it, he starts noodling um, like other instrumentation for the numbers. Now like he was still in, you know, but he, yeah. the composer sitting there and he, he clearly was struck with an idea. And so he started noodling around um, with, you, you know, on something. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, 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 and he was like, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I, I screwed up. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm just trying to get it. I'm trying to understand it. And, and this is really hard music. And then he just goes, he goes, well, I mean, I'm happy to, to change it if you need to, to, to make it, you know, so that you could do it a little easy, you know, make it easy. And I'm, I'm like, no, it's not about making it easy. I just, I, I get what you're writing here. It's just hard and there's value in doing the hard thing, but I can't, you know, I'm having, and I, I went off. <laughs> and, I, and then afterwards, I'm like, I just realized that I went off on the composer for the composer wanting to make it easier for me. And I'm like, that's, to me, that's really Minnesotan is that, you know, the composer going, well, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to help. Yeah. I'll just, I'll help you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> so we eventually got it figured out. That's good. And I apologize good. profusely. Um, I did not apologize profusely. <laughs> uh, you made the right choice and moved on. Ryan Harris. <laughs> You uh, slid very effortlessly, or perhaps effortly, into uh, avoiding that question. So I'm going back to it. Tell me what you've been doing. Uh, well, I, I I mentioned some stuff, didn't I? Yeah, but you <laughs> said for years I did that. So we're looking at 20. What are you doing now? What are you doing these days? Nothing. I'm just staying at home, okay. watching TV. Uh, that's about the gist of it these days. Mm -hmm. uh, when life gets a little bit back to normal, then there'll be other things that I'll be doing. But I, you know, I work in, um, order management and customer service for different manufacturing firms and different things. I worked at a theater supply company for ages as yeah. a, as a, as a, uh, like a, uh, inside salesperson, you know, client representative there for a while. So I did that. We've done a lot of theater, especially at first. When I first got out of theater as a career, I was able to embrace it on the side in a way that I hadn't been able to for a while and in, in, in really do the things I like. I hadn't acted in almost a decade when I, when I quit st stage managing as a union stage manager for six years-ish at various different places, uh, mostly in town here, but some other places too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, 
I had I needed more security in my financial life, and and I, what I realized that was a nice thing to realize because I didn't know it would be like this. This wasn't part of the decision. Was that your my creative life was my own again? Mm-hmm. You know, even though I had to do it in my spare time, mm-hmm. um, I could write whatever I wanted to, and if I wanted to appear in something or audition for something, I could do that. Um, so we. You know, I've made a, a pretty accomplished short film and several theater productions, one of which I got to do with my buddy Joel, um, that have been, you know, pretty successful and accomplished, I guess I'll say, because what is the success of that sort of thing? It's uh, it's nebulous, you know, I, none, I don't mean in any runaway hits, but Gangster Number One that Joel and I did together, uh, the Playwright Center, that we, we were with a group of people that basically produced it ourselves. That was a pretty big hit show and critically acclaimed show in town. I did a, I did a show that was revived several times called good clown, bad clown, which was on city pages, you know, best of the year list, which was a weird, which was a weird place for a a little, you know, show in a trunk kind of styled thing to appear. So we were very, very gratified by that. The short film we did, how to live better Joel's and that too. Um, Played at several festivals and was honored at a couple of them. Um, public television in town here put it as part of their, you know, short films of the year thing. And it aired there for a while. So I got to do a lot of fun art, which I'm very, very grateful for. The last show I did was a couple of years ago now. It was a Shakespeare show. You know, it was a blast. Uh, that was, a, again, that was a big hit show. Got some press attention. Um if I may, one of the one of the great things that you know when Ryan, Ryan and I were talking, and and this was uh, you you had you had just you were working. It was one. Of, it was you were doing some customer service work, and uh, you know talking about what we do with our arts. You know, with our arts degree is you know one of the things Ryan said was there's literally nothing that anyone can say to me on the phone. You know, if they're whether they're upset or they're happy or they're frustrated or whatever. Ryan has the tools and the faculty to handle that that emotion as well as the information uh, coming, you know, that, that that's coming at him. And so his he can, you know, he knows how to respond to things like that instead of somebody going, "I'm getting yelled at," "I'm getting yelled at," ah, you know. And and Ryan's like, "Well, there's really nothing that anyone can throw at me that I can't go." Okay, well, let's figure that out, and blah, blah, you know, so that it. it makes him uniquely suited for that. And I think, I think listening to when Ryan was telling me that I'm like, yeah, that, that's something that comes from, from uh, us having this background. Yeah. But I think that makes me uniquely unsuited for that because you throw the first punch and I'm going to throw next three, four, five, and six. I I can't be like, Oh, you're screaming at me because you're irrational. Very bright. And you think that I should be fixing this for you. Yeah. Let me just get right back to you. I can't do that. Right. I think that I think all drama people are, are wired that way. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't I don't act on those feelings. But the 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 theater person in you wants to rise to the occasion, adopt their emotional state. I think we, if you do customer service for a while, you realize how just completely unhelpful that is to you, to them, to everybody else. You just kind of have to learn the hard way. But what Joel was saying is important because it's, you know, I'm not a naturally, I've, I said it earlier on the show, I'm, I'm a naturally selfish and self-involved person and I live a lot of my own head. But I believe 
And a lot of this comes from the theater work. As a matter of fact, it's it's essential to theater work, but it's we we believe strongly and we always striving to bring it up on our own show that empathy is is everything. It's the whole ballgame. It's the way forward. It's the only true net positive emotional thing in the universe, you know. I I I really do believe that. There's a price to be paid for it, but but net positive. You you can't go wrong doing it and the more you do it naturally I, I it's my sincere belief that that is how we evolve as as you know beings and souls on the planet it's through that that's the one tool that we have imagination and your your willingness to imagine yourself in the other person's shoes see things from their perspective and understand them uh i just that's everything. And when we lose that, when we see that in the highest places, when we see that it's not a value or something that people are incapable of, you can see every day the damage that's done by it. Uh, so, you know, we strive for that. And that's a lesson in, in doing theater, you know, you exercising your imagination in that way. You, you do learn it, even if you're not told it outright like that, you, you can't help but learn it a little bit. So yeah, customer I, service, it's, <laughs> it's, it's putting yourself in their position, just trying to understand where they're coming from and listen to them. I don't do any of those things naturally. I have to, it's a task. I have to work at it. But the only reason I have any sort of knack for it when I'm focused is, is because of that theater work. Otherwise I don't, my inclination would be like yours would be to, you know, fight back or, or if they're panicked and they're right to be, then oh, I'm going to start to panic. Yeah. That's empathy too. It is. Yeah. But, but, you know, I don't know. I, I believe so deeply in that. That's my religion, as I say. And I, mm -hmm. that, that I learned how to do that against my own instincts. Um, when I, when I was learning about theater, when I was learning about acting and, just any sort of storytelling, understanding the emotional truth in the moment when it's not necessarily your truth is, has immense value, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Sorry. So, I'm curious to know from the two of you, if you think Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, not really, but I'm going to leave it there because I like <laughs> the answer. All right. Um, I'm curious to know if you have a, like, if you think back to your time in college and being on stage, because the three of us were lucky to get to do a lot of plays and musicals. Um, do you have moments that stand out for you? Do you have things that just like instantly come back? And I'm going to answer my own question first, since I'm asking it, so maybe I've had a minute longer to think about it. I actually think that it's very rare that what comes back to me instantly is anything that happened on stage. There are some moments. I had like one moment, one moment doing quilters where I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I had it. For one second, I actually was an unbelievable actor. And like, I've had three of those in my life. Um, you know, and some other things like that. But But when I think about like the high points of my college education. I think about Ryan standing next to you, leaning on the um, pole system 
and you were reading me the character descriptions in the Grapes of Wrath. So you and I played Connie and Rose of Sharon, right? Your name was Connie, right? It was Connie yeah. Rivers. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And you, you're reading through, you know, Ma, Pa, blah, blah, and you get to Noah, tall, but strange. <laughs> and you said it so, no, you said it with so nothing. And I remember almost falling over. I mean, I still think about that phrase and use it all the time. If, if I meet someone who just doesn't quite work, I'll always say that for, to whoever I'm with. Hmm, tall, but strange. It's I mean, the word, it's the word, but that makes that phrase yes, weird. Because, because that's strange. Like only short people are strange. Exactly. Yeah. It, yes. That's, that's oh, why tall. it's funny. He's tall. Uh, strange. Yeah. Strange. No. Um, so I think about that. I think about um, Joel. I think about that preposterous scene that Doug directed us in um, where you were a gynecologist. Uh, and it was like an engagement scene or, I, I mean, I can't mm -hmm. even really remember the details exactly, but I think. About yeah, it was like, I had to propose to you, I think. Yeah. During, and I was also yeah. your gynecologist. <laughs> yes. And um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, of course my, of course my theater memory is literally the first time you and I met uh, and the first, the very first class yeah. ever. And it, we were both, you know, with, it was whispered, you know, what you were, David whispered something to your ear, what, you know, what, you, what your goal was that you needed to get accomplished. Mine was, I needed to quietly kill you. So I was like, quietly kind of trying to come up behind you. And then you turned to me and ripped off your, your shirt and like leapt on me. Yeah. And I'm like, college is cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this wasn't the first time I met her, but my first bit, my first main experience with Dana was when we got kidnapped for concert yeah. choir. You remember that? And blindfolded. Yeah. Like we, four in the morning. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we were just as a hazing thing for concert choir, we were, mm -hmm taken around town and, and it was fairly village in or something when we didn't we go for breakfast yeah 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 they brought us they brought us into the freezers like at the at the grocery store down the street and i mean it was really weird i don't know what that you know it was supposed to be it a was, bonding it thing. was the concert choir version of hazing <laughs> <laughs> the concert choir version of hazing correctly that yeah. you were just you didn't know where you were right. you were blindfolded yeah. that right. was the no, that was the gist yeah. of it right the rest yeah. of it was Pretty safe. Completely harmless. Yes. Um, but to have, I just gotta say, to have Dana as a as a partner in that. <laughs> well, because mm -hmm. you know, she mentions the way I read the character descriptions. I mean, I pretty much just roll with it. I would not have been a fun person to kidnap because I I was rather nonplussed by it all. And Dana wasn't particularly intimidated by the experience either. It wasn't that so much. It was her, she you know, we had two kidnappers and it was just the two of us. Yep. And yet it was definitely the blindfolded redhead who was in charge the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that was clear from the second she joined the party <laughs> that she was the she was the boss of the situation. Yes. And so if you were scared or a little worried about that, you, you weren't in her presence. She had everything completely under control. And as, 
and she's a truly first friend that I made when I went off to school. Um, and I could have made a lot of friends or I could have made no friends. And I don't know how it would have been a whole lot different for me. I would have coasted along no matter what, that's my style. But she, her, that it's not just bossing people around, which you're excellent at. It's so much more than that. It's that it, you just, you're in the, you're in the presence and in the company with somebody who has it together and is going to, no matter what happens, is going to find a plan and going to, there's going to be a way through this emotionally or physically or wherever we got to go. If you're a mouse in a maze and you're unsure of your place in the world, to have Dana by your side is, oh, I guess. Yeah, agreed. She, she's just top, tip top of the list because. Oh, that's incredible. Because you know you're you know you're in good hands. You inherently know whatever's going on that you're in good hands. Well, and, and she tends to laugh at our jokes. So I, I, I find you both highly entertaining, and <laughs> always, always have Ryan. You know, you were my first friend too. Even though I graduated from Moorhead High School, I, Moorhead State was closer to my mom's house than Moorhead High School was, and I lived at home. So, in most ways, it didn't feel like a college experience. But I also didn't have any friends who went there. So, I mean, not any close friends. So, yeah, you were my first college friend, too. I remember being so grateful, actually, when we got kidnapped and sort of talking to you and thinking, well, this guy seems okay. I mean, at least he's somebody I know now. I mean, I don't know what he looks like. It doesn't matter, (laughs) but I'll find his voice in the choir. And, you know, it just I remember feeling very happy to have somebody because it's that's a tough transition. Even if you don't need people, even if you don't really, I mean, it's just, it was a weird, it was a weird time. It wasn't in general. And when Joel's class uh, rolled in, it it changed. And I think we all became a part, we all became a part of that. It's, I don't think that the folks in front of us were not for the better. I just think they were, they'd seen it all and had their time. And even the people who were only a little older than us were experienced in a way that we just weren't at all. Some of it too, Ryan, is we were just a really small class. And and, and Doug and Elizabeth and Dave. Brian. Brian, um, uh, who I don't think started, but there were only eight or nine of us. We were very, very small. And you guys were... Yeah, there were a, I a ton like, of you. We we came in. We had a huge. Yeah, we had a pretty huge. I remember. Yeah, I remember that from our freshman orientation when we showed up and like we sat around this big giant table and there was, yeah, there was like twenty of us around this table to talk about being in the theater department and they went, oh yeah, and there's like ten people missing or something like that and we're just like, and I just remember going, okay, geez, all right. Well, and we you go. know what else? Yeah. Your class was mostly actors. Ryan, our class was a lot of tech people. So we yeah, were true. totally on our own. Yeah. It, you, you guys don't know because you weren't there when you weren't there, but you, you fundamentally changed it and defined what that four, in my case, five-year experience was. Mm. It, you truly, you really were the group that, that was the whole thing. So yeah, I think it I was my hair. Too. I totally aligned yeah. with, with that class behind but it, but it did it did make your friendship all the more necessary and all the more useful and appreciated. That's true. I have, I feel exactly the same way. Can I, I, I? My favorite. Going back to what your original question, oh, yeah. uh, Dana. But I mean, I didn't. Well, you unfor- Yeah, unfortunately, all most of my memories. Uh, I mean, I do remember some on stage stuff. 
I remember a lot of onstage stuff of, of stuff that I felt good about stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, that was the first moment where I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> or I based this entire character around a hand gesture. <laughs> and, and maybe that's not the best way to approach a character. Um, I, 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 I became obsessed with the, the Bill Clinton uh, little thumb. The tiny Hammond. Know, the, yep. Yeah, the little thumb. And um, I essentially based an entire character around that gesture. And and I'm like, and I thought maybe Bill Clinton. Acting. Yeah. And, um, David Graves used to do that all the time too. Yeah, and his then was, and he'd scratch his nose with it without yeah, his even. Was, his was underneath. Bill's was on top. His yeah. was underneath him. And that's yeah, he, he would go second level. Theater um, gets you president. Yeah, and um, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of my memories off stage were not positive. Um, the things that have stuck with me the most over the years have been a lot of the, the negative stuff that that happened. Um, my favorite all-time college memory, though, happened, and I can't remember. I don't know if you were there or not, but and we were at what the what is the what was the bar that we went to? Not not Ralph's, but uh, Trader. Was it? The, it was the T. Oh, Trader remember. and Trapper. Trader T. and Trapper. Yeah, by the railroad. Yep. Yeah. And we went there, and it was karaoke night. We didn't know <laughs> it was karaoke night. Not there. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So you weren't there. Uh, I we didn't know I was it was karaoke. There. Yeah, you were well. Yeah, this because this story is is a Ryan story. Uh, we we're sitting there and we're just saying, uh, and and we're like letting people, and we're like, well, I don't want to get up and do karaoke and all that. Ryan goes, oh, I signed us up, <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, okay, well, all right, well, Ryan has an idea about something. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess I'll do. It. So they go, and next up, Ryan and Joel, and I'm like, okay, great. And Ryan, and Ryan's like, yeah, yeah, just come on, and um. It starts and it's the opening um, little music blip for Billy Joel's My Life. Okay. And I'm like, well, this is that's not a duet. <laughs> Are we just gonna both sing it together? That's a little, and okay, it's great. As so we get up there, we both handed a mic. Ryan, as the music starts, Ryan leans over to me and he goes, completely ignore me, just sing the song. <laughs> and I went, so I just started like, <laughs> I just went, you know. I don't care what you say anymore. And Ryan just stands off to the side with the microphone and he's just like, look at him. He's just singing away on that song. <laughs> and he just did a running commentary of me. It was, it was like a performance art piece that I didn't know I was going to participate in. I also sang the Peter Cetera parts. Oh, sure. Yes, you did. Oh yeah. You went, ah. The, yeah, the you to do. yeah, you did do that. So there was that, but well, I contributed was, a little bit. Mostly, it was the running commentary, and and I just I'm like, Ryan clearly has an idea, so I'm just gonna keep singing. Just uh, I'll just keep singing along and see what ha you know. And Ryan just did, and the whole bar was just it was a mixture of. Of just of 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 a, of a WTF of what is going on, and of course, our you know Jennifer and uh, the other people that were there with us, just absolutely losing their minds laughing, and um, yeah, I mean, and it was like I just had to get past the fact that I'm like I don't know if they're laughing at me or uh, with this whole idea whatever i don't know uh ryan's always been funny and i know he's not doing this to be mean 
so I'm like, all right, let's just, let's do it. And um, yeah, I, I, that I have, uh, yeah, I feasted on that story for many, many years. I've heard uh, that one a few times. Um, yeah. I have my, to tell you, I did karaoke for the second time in my life this fall. Really? What'd you say? What, karaoke. No. What'd you sing? Um, uh, what did we sing? Uh, girls just want to have fun. I didn't select anything. I got kind oh, okay. of growled into it. But I was with a friend from high school who's an attorney in San Francisco, and he lives for karaoke. So he <laughs> he said, let's go to this great Japanese dinner karaoke place. I'm going to invite some other people. So it's me and my friend Andrew, and then all of these entrepreneur startups. I mean, I, you could not have scripted a more Bay Area conversation. Oh, I'm just coming off my 47th startup, you know, sold $12 <laughs> billion, whatever. So we get downstairs into our room and there's like 10 of us. And this group picked songs like um, Old Man River, um, Careless Whisper. <laughs> You're like, nobody in their right mind would sing this. Mm -hmm. in karaoke. I mean, it's hard to sing Old Man River. It's real <laughs> slow. Summertime. It felt odd. A lot of um, like Negro songs um, mm -hmm. that seemed kind of odd. Yeah. Um, what some other stuff, just uh, oh, uh, some Jim Croce stuff, not bad, bad Leroy Brown, but some of his slow stuff. It was the weirdest night of karaoke. And what was most surprising is that throughout dinner, everybody around me was like, oh my gosh, I love karaoke. I have a, I have a karaoke machine at home. I do it all the time. So I thought, all right, this is going to be like, a, this is going to mm -hmm. be a deal. I was not expecting Old Man River. You're never expecting Old Man River. <laughs> if Maz were here, he would say it's like the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, you're never expecting <laughs> Old Man River. <laughs> um, well, this has been delightful. I don't know that we've covered anything of any substance, but I really <laughs> loved it. <laughs> and I don't know that I have a substantive podcast, so who cares? Sure. Yeah. Well, so, uh, hopefully we can my... return the favor. Here's the deal. We'll, we'll, let's return the favor oh. sometime and you can appear on our podcast. And then you'll find out that I have this much knowledge about film. Well, that's what Joel's here for. Oh, so you'll, Joel, you'll, I'll make you'll, you look like you've got graduate degrees in film? Joel, Joel, really, really, it's his magic power. He makes you sound really smart and really good. And he, he, uh, he uh, what is it, validates you constantly. Nice. It's because yes. you're a parent of a young child. Yeah. He gives me a kind of a hard time in real life, which is his, his right to do. But on the show, he just he just props me up and makes me feel like a million bucks. Right, Joel, this one? What's that? Are you just handing out gold stars left and right on the show? Well, you know, that's it's a decision that I, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we could have had a show where Ryan and I are disagreeing on stuff and we're bantering back and forth and talking. And that happens sometimes, you know, if there's a movie that I really like and Ryan was like, okay, you know, that's crap, right? You know, like, and, you know, and we'll, we'll go back and I'm like, well, but most of the time, even if it's, if something is crap, I know it's crap, but I like it anyway. Sure. Um, 
Like and how and to be fair to us, we as a mission, we deliberately try and talk about things we like. Yeah, that's that's the thing is, is we, you know, we made the conscious effort when we were making this. We try and be positive and advocate yeah. for stuff rather than yeah, we, the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, it's like we sort of view it as we, we're not a review show. We're more yeah. of a of a almost a historic, you know, a movie history or a TV history. Dive. Yeah, a deep job. Yeah. And um, and so we, you know, it is. And and because to me, what makes our show different than the a gajillion other shows out there is that Ryan has a very unique way of looking at movies. And that's what I want to share with people. And so that's why I feel like, okay, my job here is to, uh, is to drive the boat and just get Ryan to his next, um, next point. And, and, and I know that Ryan wants me to interject my opinions when I have them and and for me to talk about things that I really like about movies and TV. And that's great. And I feel will er, empowered to do so. But for me, what makes our show, and my opinions aren't all that interesting, in my opinion, when, when it comes to television and movies. Ryan's the one that, to me, uh, who has just this vast breadth of knowledge and is able to access it uh pretty readily and also in a really interesting and succinct way and i think that's what uh so it's yeah i mean i, I think about again going back to when i said i was kind of an ersatz ryan harris right out of college um going from town to town with my crates of movies um it is that sort of thing he's my friend and i want people to know more about this guy that i that is that for some reason, I'm weirdly lucky enough to have as a friend, even though he drives me nuts sometimes because he does. But there are, but no one thinks like Ryan, and I'm lucky that I get to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, to me, that's why our podcast is worth doing. And and that's what I, you know, that's what I tell other people about podcasts is is like, look, if you, you know, figure out why your podcast is worth doing to you. Right. To you, and, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's, you're not going to solve the world with a pod, with a podcast. You're not going to, you know, the idea is, is figure out what matters to you and, and so that you can talk about it with joy. And, and as Ryan says, hopefully, hopefully promote empathy, hopefully, you know, get, keep, you know, keep moving forward and, you know, in, in a way that keeps our, uh, our, our brains and our emotions engaged. So, so think um, about what you want to talk about on the show. Yeah. How long movies and TV? It can be one movie. It can be one TV show. It can be a kind we'll of movie. Whatever. Yeah. Think think about what you want to talk about. We'll we'll put the show in order for you, and Joel take good care of you. I promise. Okay. I I'm gonna put in a request that I get to bring Dr. Mary along because he Ryan, you have not met him, but he's um, this ginormous brain plant cell wall biochemist uh but if he could do anything in life he would be a movie reviewer and you want to talk <laughs> about somebody who starts from a premise of this is going to be incredible and then pretty much it only goes up from there mm -hmm. this is a guy who can love the worst films on the planet i mean he will defend terrible films till the cows come home he loves nothing more than a B film. Loves them all. So well, well we'll have we'll have uh, we'll have Dr. Mary on when we uh, do our deep dive into Jim Cotta. 
I don't even know what that means. Yeah, okay. But Jim he Cotter's, will. Yeah, he will. Just say, <laughs> honey, maybe tonight. Yeah, after you're done here, go, go. Uh, Joel and Ryan say, uh, uh, it's just pet B movie of choice. It really Jim is. Cotter. Yeah, Jim Cotter. Okay. That and um, Escape to Victory. Talk to bring up Escape to Victory or Escape to Victory is not a B movie. No, but text him right now and see what he has to say. Yeah, or he would know it as Escape to Victory because he grew up in in the UK. But in the US, it was just called Victory. But it's a soccer movie with somehow Pele is in a World War II internment camp. Oh, I've heard him talk Uh, about this because that's his other great love is World War II films. He practically has a PhD in World War II. World War II and, and soccer. It's the two things it's that were the, meant to be together. I know of this film because of the Pele reference. I've heard him say that. One of the few oh. real fights he and I ever had. Ah, chef's had. kiss on that song, on that movie. I love Mike, that movie. Michael Caine is in charge. Max von Sydow runs the prison. And Sylvester Stallone is the goalie. Oh, Maz. Is, I'm, oh, <laughs> I said, Escape yeah. to Victory. Do you like it? He said, you have not seen it. <laughs> good answer <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm very sorry that he's not here he'd be so happy to be having this conversation with someone who could confirm bring him, al- bring him, al- bring him, bring him along yeah, yeah we'll have we'll have the two of you on we'll uh yeah, to let have him have him pick out a couple things and let us know ahead of time so i can do a little thinking about it and, and we'll, we'll talk movies that'll be That'll be fun. Yeah, you'll that's one of the sure nice things fun. about our normal system breaking down here is that we're going to do some things with well, guests and do things a little differently. Mm-hmm. It'll, be, it'll be really groovy. We would love to have you guys. Well, I'll just come and laugh at the three of you and Matt. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah, All right, also. you two. Um, I, so this is my only challenge to the three of us. Okay. Um. Let's not wait 25 more years to virtually see ourselves, all right? I mean, that puts us very old. We're already well into old-ish. Yeah, we're getting there. Come on. I'm married to a 50-year-old, and it's not inappropriate. (laughs) I mean, it's time for us. It's not like you were dating one. It's not like the time you were dating one in college. (laughs) But that's that's for the next podcast. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. I really love seeing you both. Um, yeah, you're important in my life. So thanks for coming on and doing this. And um, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you, Dana. I love you. Bye. Thanks, Dana. Love you too. Bye. Okay, bye. Don't get off yet. We need to take a picture. Okay. I'm just gonna stop the.